Good morning. Uh, welcome once again to Christ Community Presbyterian Church. Uh, we are continuing our series in Genesis. We're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 1 to 11 over the, the coming weeks and months. Uh, we are still in chapter 1. We've been there for some time now, and we're, we're going to stay there. So don't, don't just buckle your seatbelt and stay on the, on the train here. We are, we're continuing on. Uh, this week, we're starting a, a little mini section on the image of God uh, in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 31. We're going to be particularly uh, looking uh, sort of at the basic idea that God made us in His image this week. And then next week, we're going we're gonna to hone in a little more on what it means for us that we are image bearers. Uh, but, but this week, uh, we're just looking... And what, is it, what does it mean that God made us in His image? Uh, what does that mean for us, generally speaking? Uh, and we'll, we'll not exhaust this topic. Uh, even after two weeks, we could probably do another three to four weeks, and we would still not exhaust the topic. Uh, one commentator I was reading said that of all the passages in Scripture, this is probably has the most ink spilled on it over the centuries, from the early church onward. Uh, it's, a, it's a difficult topic, a complicated one. Uh, the text itself is a little challenging. Uh, and then the implications are manifold. They, they extend to almost every area of our life. And so uh, we're going to be holding in as much as we're able, uh, but uh, we will just take two weeks. So I will do what I am able to do in that time. So with that, we're going to be reading Genesis chapter 1 uh, and verses 26 to 31. I want us to remember uh, where this falls in the context of Genesis 1. We've been looking at the creation account last week, or two weeks ago now, I guess. We looked at uh, the days of creation, and this falls on day 6, day 6 of the creation account. It falls in the middle of day 6. The animals have been created, the land animals, and now God is creating man in his image. So let's listen to God's word, Genesis 1, 26 to 31. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I've given, every, uh, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I've given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask for your help as we look at your word. Help us to marvel at your creation. Help us to be humble as we recognize that you have made us in your image to reflect you in this world. Help us to see our own failings in that, but help us to see Christ, for we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. 
It's Memorial Day weekend, and on Memorial Day we remember those soldiers who fought in wars, who've lost their lives uh, to defend our country. And I think as we consider God as the one who makes us in His image, I think that's not a, an unhelpful thing to remind ourselves, that we, we celebrate those lives lost as image bearers of God. But, as I've been reflecting on the news, I was off the grid this past week. I was uh, camping, and I got a phone call, where I made a phone call to my wife to check in, and I found out uh, the tragic news of Uvalde, Texas, where 21 victims, many of whom were young children, were, were shot and killed. And this, just a few weeks after the racially motivated shooting in Buffalo, New York, where 13 people were shot and 10 killed, all African American. And this two things, celebrating the life of those lives lost in war who defended our country, and the incomprehensible slaying of people for no apparent reason It doesn't make sense. It's hard to make sense of the violence. And, and I think we can look at many potential societal causes. We know as Christians that the nature of the fall and sin in the lives of all of humanity brings about this sort of devastation in the world. We see it across the globe in all corners of the world. Death. But I can't help but think at the very root of the issue in our society is a lack of understanding the nature of humanity. We, all of us, the entire human race, reflect and bear the image of our Creator. And I can't help but think in some measure as a society, as a world, we've lost perspective on that reality. Of course, this loss of perspective doesn't always play itself out in mass shootings. In fact, it plays itself out in many ways in our daily life, in the way that we as a society treat one another. It plays itself out in our willingness to abort our children, in the way we discriminate against persons based on race, age, sex, wealth, ability, education, marital status. It plays itself out when we view people as tools for our benefit, when we mistreat the waitress that spills our drink, when we ignore the beggar on the corner, when we rail against faceless names on social media, when we bully, when we make fun, when we gossip, when we lie, when we cheat, when we steal, when we harbor anger and resentments, when we indulge in pornography, when we take advantage of kindness, when we abuse those who are... ...over us. And all of these things, I think in some measure, we have lost perspective on how we were made as image bearers of the living God. But it's not only in how we treat one another or others. 
It's also manifest in how we view ourselves. When we are self-loathing, when we are self-critical, when we abuse our bodies, when we do self-harm, and all these things, and in so many other ways, I believe that we have not fully grasped or taken into account that we are fearfully and wonderfully made image bearers of the living God. This morning, we are just going to begin to touch on this deep, rich topic of image bearing. And for now, my hope is that we see and believe that we reflect God in this world, that we reflect Him as our Creator and as our Redeemer. I'm going to look at this in a few ways. The first way that I want to think about this is that you were made purposefully distinct to reflect the Creator. You were made purposefully distinct to reflect the Creator. To get us back into the creation account, I want to draw your attention to the structure of the text. Uh, You'll remember last week I talked a lot about the structure of the text. Uh, And when we come to the sixth day, the first thing that we notice is that there are two parts to the creation order. This was similar to the third day. The third day, the land was separated from the waters. And then that was the first part of God's order. But then on the third day also, the the dry ground produced uh, um, trees and bushes. And there's a similar parallel here in the sixth day. First, he creates the animals, and then a separate thing happens. He creates man. And I think the text intentionally highlights these days, these two days, to bring our attention to this moment, the creation of mankind. I think God is saying, pay attention. And as our attention is drawn in, the text also breaks its rhythm. It breaks its rhythm. Uh, In all the previous creation fiats, what I mean by that is that every time that God said, let there be light, or let there be an expanse, or let the waters teem, etc., the form of those verbs, those to-be verbs, right, let there be, etc., the form of those verbs are in the form of a command, a third-person command. They they are uh, in a command. But here, when we come to this Verse 26, there's a dramatic and personal shift. God suddenly speaks to himself, or better, within his divine counsel as Father, Son, and Spirit. Notice how the text changes. It says, then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. God suddenly changes the attention and he declares this self-reflective creative act. Let us make man in our image. Deliberate change here. God is saying, pay attention and wonder at this. And the wonder is this. Mankind is made to look like and picture the living God, the creator of the heavens and the earth. Now, for the Israelites on the plains of Moab, 
who were the first readers of this text, it was not a shock to them that mankind was unique among the creatures. I don't think they looked at the animals and said, oh, we're just like them. But what was remarkable, I think, to them, what was striking and wondrous as they considered this, is that it was an all-inclusive word. Let us make mankind, all of humanity. As you remember, for them in Egypt, Pharaoh was a god. Pharaoh was made in the image of God. The kings of the earth were godlike. But the slave in Egypt was not. And here, God is saying, no. It's not just the kings of the earth. In fact, you are all kings of the earth, in a sense. You are all God's image bearers here. You all reflect me. All people, male and female, brick-making Hebrew slaves, even the uncircumcised Canaanites were image bearers of God. And this ought to be no less marvelous for us, even as we have, haven't even really unpacked the idea. What does it even mean for us to bear God's image? We haven't, we haven't touched that yet. We're just saying He did make us in His image. What, is it, what does it mean? What's the significance of this? That from the very least on this earth, To the greatest, there is not one human on this planet that was not made in the image of God. We are all created to reflect God. We're all made to point to God, to show forth the wonders of God, to to look and express God to the world. We were all made with dignity and value. Your value is not based on your relative worth to society. Your value is not based on what you produce. It's not based on who you know. It's not based on how much you have. It's not based on what you know, how smart you are. It's not based on your beauty. It's not based on your race. It's not based on your age. It's not based on your sex. It's not based on your physical health and strength. Your dignity and worth is imprinted on you by God from your conception, and it does not ever leave you. Now, I don't want to suggest that our image bearing isn't corrupted. We're going to get into that when we look at the fall. We're going to see how desperately corrupt uh, our image bearing is. But however corrupted it has been, fundamentally we remain God's image bearers. It's hard for me to imagine a more poignant truth right now. It's It's hard for me to think of a more important reality. In reflection on these recent mass shootings, I can't help but reflect on Genesis chapter 9 where it says, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. 
and listen for the grounds here, because this is the grounds that it says there in Genesis chapter 9. For God made man in his own image. The very basis of this law that God sets forth is that we are his image bearers. Life, our lives, the lives of everyone around you, the lives of everyone out there, the lives of everyone across this globe matters. And to such an extent that if we were to take a life, our life is forfeit. That's what God says. There's no distinctions. If you're like me, at least as I came home and reflected on the recent events, I felt pretty helpless. I don't know if you're like that. Like, what do you do? How do you respond? How do, how do you even engage with something like this? And maybe there are political or social actions we might take. They might be ways in which we speak out against such violence and highlight the dignity of life as endowed by our Creator. But I would humbly suggest that we begin first with our own hearts. And it begins here. It begins with us reminding ourselves, I am made in the image of God. And then it goes outward. God made your neighbor, that person that frustrates you, that doesn't mow their lawn like me, Made in the image of God. Your coworker, your classmate, your friend, and maybe most significantly and most importantly, your enemy is an image bearer of God. Made to reflect him or herself in the world. Made to reflect God. How we treat one another, I think, reflects our understanding of this basic truth. Last week, Jerome looked at uh, that passage in John 17, that beautiful prayer of Jesus that said, Father, you and I are one. May, may these, my disciples, be one. And that mutual love that I have with you, may that pour out. And may that love then go out forth from there. I think it begins with recognizing that apart even from God's redemptive work, you as God's creature, you as made in the image of God, reflect God's person and character in the world. You have an opportunity to show forth that love, the love of God that made us to be his representatives, and to show the world who he is. You were made distinct from the rest of creation to reflect God. We were made distinct from the rest of creation to reflect God. All people in all the earth were made distinct to reflect God. It's the first thing I want to note. You were purposely made distinct to reflect the Creator. And as we consider what that means, I think it begins with ourselves. It begins with our own hearts. It begins with thinking, okay, the Lord made me, but He also made you. He also made everyone else that I run into 
around this tree. They are image bearers of God. The second thing that I want to note is that you were made whole, body and soul, to reflect the Creator. You were made whole, body and soul, to reflect the Creator. I think that there is um, sometimes, at least somewhat within Christian, the Christian world, to think that the physical world, and we looked at this in our church history class, it kind of permeates church history, this Gnostic idea that the body does not matter, that it is just our souls that are significant, that everything that our bodies are is not what is most important, but that we are ultimately just spiritual souls. Our body wastes away, and then we go to be with heaven, but go to be with God in heaven. But, but actually, no, God made man in his image and in his likeness. And if we go to chapter 2 of Genesis, we read how God made man. It says, When no bush was in the field, a bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground, ground, and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the earth. Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Body and soul, breath of life coming into, into mankind. And what, what, what is the significance that we are body as God's image bearers? Now, the first thing we have to note here is that God does not have a body like men. And so the question might be asked, how is it possible that we as physical beings, as those enfleshed in dust of the earth, reflect God who is spirit, right? Well, I want to suggest to you, and this, this is not you know, my thinking, this is theologians throughout history thinking on this, this topic. I want to suggest to you that though God doesn't have a body, God does act and work and manifest himself in the world. What, what's the connection here? Well, I think as physical beings, we reflect that, that activity of God in, in the way we go about the world that we live in by acting and working and manifesting God's creativity in our work and the things that we do with our bodies in the way we, we act and live. And I think this, this is maybe in contrast to some ideas of the nature of God as creator. Um, some people have argued, well, God is like an unmoved mover, right? That's a philosophical way to think about God. God is the unmoved mover. He sets things in motion. He is far above. He is transcendent. He doesn't engage with his creation, but he is uh, in some ways passive and distant, impersonal. But this is not the God we have in the Bible. God, the God of the Bible is one who is active, and persistent, and imminent. He is down in the dust of the earth making man. He is the one who is upholding all of his creation by the very power of his word. He is the one who, as the Israelites are going through the wilderness, is leading them and guiding them. He is the one who miraculously separates the Red Sea and then brings it back again. He's a God who is active. 
one who makes and creates. And so as we think about ourselves as, as those who are reflecting God as creator in body, I think we think of that as those who are creative. And what does that mean for us? I think, I think God made us to do stuff. That sounds ridiculous, right? Obviously. But I think sometimes, I think sometimes, I, I know even in my own life, I can kind of think, eh, work is just a burden. Work is just something that I have to go through. Work is just something that I have to do. It's the curse of the fall. Work is bad. Rest and doing nothing is good. Now, I will say, part of the curse is the difficulty of work, right? The challenge that we face in our daily life and our, the work that we do. But fundamentally, work is good. You've been made for it. You've been made to reflect God as creator in it. What does that mean? So, so you know, it can mean all sorts of things. You may find your job that isn't, you do it because you have to make money and you, you need to support your family and make a living, but it isn't maybe something that gives you life. But I know that all of us, that God makes us in certain ways, have things in our life that, that give us joy and delight as we create. I don't know what that is for you. Uh, um, for me, uh, I love, I love to, to create and build something with my hands. Uh, working uh, on uh, a, a project with my dad in the, in the workshop or, or painting a painting or doing something creative. That's what God makes us for this stuff. He creates us physically. Our bodies reflect God. But it's not just our bodies. It's our souls as well. He made us body and soul to reflect the creator. We're all given souls and I think in some greater measure, we can talk about how we reflect God as a person, right? When we talk about soul, I talk about our personhood, who we are. You know, wanna, we'll come back to the topic next week specifically to talk about issues relating to gender and sexuality that I think are embedded in this text that need a little more attention. But I just want to point this out. I think... Some, some might read the Genesis account that God created man, male and female, that binary as, as limiting, as not, not able to express uh, who we are in our person. I, I, I don't think that's the case. I would like to just note that what's most remarkable is that God makes us, body and soul, as persons, unique. Think about your DNA and the uniqueness of each one of you out here. God made you persons to reflect him. And all of humanity, think about this, all of humanity, unique, all persons are unique. I don't, I, I'm not going to go into the science of you know, identical twins, but in some measure, <laughs> uh, they're unique. But, but all of humanity does not fully reflect the uniqueness and express the fullness of God as the triune God. And nevertheless, in all of our uniqueness, in all of our gifts, I think we, in some small measure, 
reflect the beauty and character and creativity and wonder and, and just the, the massive differentiation of God, who he is and all his complexity. Just look at everyone around you and wonder at the uniqueness of all of us, how in that each of us reflects some aspect of God. But, but, more, but more importantly, we are persons. What does, this, what does this mean, that we're persons? As we reflect the image of God, we're persons. God is personal, right? He's tri-personal, so we don't reflect God in that, in that sort of unique, complex, tri-personal, Trinitarian sense. Nevertheless, we do reflect him in our ability to be relational and personal. We have the ability to relate to one another and not just relate to one another, in our relationship to one another to reflect the character of God. So in all of our diversity, in all of our uniqueness, in some measure, we come together and we express the character of God as image bearers. That's what we're called to do. And in doing so, we bring glory and honor and reflect the Creator. And what does that look like? Well... I think as we think about that, we, we can go all over Scripture to see the character of God, right? We can go to the law and see how God calls us to love himself with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love our neighbor as ourselves. We can go to the New Testament and see how God calls us to, to show service to one another. How God calls us to show righteousness, to live in a way that is that is true and right and good. We can go all over Scripture and look at the ways in which God calls us to be reflections of Himself. But I want to go to one passage which you read earlier, was read earlier uh, in, our, in our service, Psalm 8. I've talked a lot about this psalm, but it is a psalm that expresses this wonder uh, at who we are as reflections of God. And I want you to notice, particularly, in where it says, and you can turn there in your bulletin, it says, you've made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. And how do we reflect? You've given him dominion over the works of your hands. You've given him work to do, to care for the created order care for one another. Notice above when it, in, in, in the same psalm where it says, out of the mouth of babies and infants you've established strength or praise as the, as the Septuagint translates it. You've established praise to still the enemy and the avenger. We're created to reflect God in our, in our, in our standing up for what is true, right, and good and our standing up for justice, and our giving ourselves in service, and our laying our lives down in love, and being peaceable, and being patient, and being kind. And go through all the fruit of the Spirit. As we do these things, 
body and soul, we reflect our Creator. I want to turn one more place in our bulletin, which is our confession of faith that we made today expresses it clearly. It says here, he endowed them, that is humanity, with living, reasoning, and immortal souls. And, they made him in his, and he made him in his own image. In what ways? In knowledge, righteousness, holiness. Having the law of God written on their hearts and the power to fulfill it. With dominion over the creatures. Of course, subject to the fall. This is Adam before the fall. But then I want to look at the Heidelberg answer. God created them good and in his own image, that is, in true righteousness and holiness, so that they might truly know God, their creator, love him with all their heart, and live with God in eternal happiness to praise and glorify him. And how do we do that? We do that as we display the character of God to one another. You are made whole, body and soul, to reflect the Creator. Third point, I'm, I'm going to end here. Uh, move on to the, the fourth point, just touching on it, and we'll come back to, the, to point four. But the third point is, you were made diverse and relational to reflect the Creator. Now, I've already sort of touched on this. I jumped ahead of myself a little bit, but... Uh, Notice here in Genesis chapter 1, where it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image and in, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, etc. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now again, I'm going to come back to the issue of gender and sexuality next week, but at the very least, I want us to note that God made us diverse and relational that we are meant to relate to one another. Uh, and this is preeminently pictured for us in this, the, the creation of man when man is made and then Eve is taken from the rib of Adam. And as we see at the end of that account where, where, where he's presented with Eve and the establishment of that marriage relationship is expressed and man said, this is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And then it says, therefore, man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Now, I just want to note that God made man male and female to be in relationship with one another. And this is obviously pictured uh, through that marriage relationship that we would in our togetherness, not just in our individuality, but in our togetherness that we would reflect the Creator, that together, husband and wife, would, as, as one, would reflect God's person, His image. But I want to suggest to you that it's not just in marriage. I think sometimes uh, we, can, we can think, well, marriage is the highest form of of oneness, that if, if you get married, you can truly show what it means to, to show off God, if you will. But if you're not married, you're kind of stuck, right? I don't think that's fair. And I think it's really important to point out that Jesus Christ himself was not married. 
that the Apostle Paul was not married. But I do think this concept of relational picturing of God is important and is most fundamentally seen in the church as we knit and bind ourselves one to another we together reflect God's creative uh, God's image God's character God's person and and if you have any questions whether it's marriage that is the high thing or church I, I would just point to the fact that when we get to the end of this story. If you, this is the beginning of the story, this picture of relationship between husband and wife. But when you get to the end of the story in the book of Revelation, what do you have? You don't have individuals married. In fact, there is no giving or taking in, in, in having a marriage. What you have is the marriage of the lamb to his bride, the picture of marriage. God's character reflected perfectly on that day of glory when all peoples who are his come together around the throne for the marriage supper of the Lamb and there perfectly reflect God himself, united to him, united to one another. In all our diversity and all our differences, as God's people, we are meant as a people to be in relationship with one another and to reflect the Creator. That's what we do. So what does that look like for us? Well, I think a couple things. One is, I think it goes back to Jerome's sermon, so I'll just point you back there. Go, go listen, if you didn't hear it last week, to Jerome's sermon about what it means for us to have that union and love for one another. But I want to press it out a little further. One of the characteristics of God in His unity uh, as he comes together in that picture in John 17 where, where you have this prayer that, that Jerome preached on, one of the pictures is not just perfect love within himself, but a love that presses out to the world, right? The Father sends the Son. The Son perfectly obeys the Father and goes into the world to redeem a people who are lost, who are disconnected, who are dying and said, I'm going to bring you into fellowship. And so what does that mean for us as the church, as we reflect that picture of God? It means as we come together, what do we do? We go out. We go out into the world and we bring people in. And we share Christ. This is what the living God does. He shares himself with us. And so as we reflect God as his people, we go out and share Christ with, one, with those who are lost, those who don't know him. This brings me to my last point. I'm just really going to touch on it. I'm not even uh, going to go into any great detail because I want to save some of it for next week. But uh, you were made the representative of God on earth to point to our creator and redeemer, um, we were made as image bearers of God, but if we go to Colossians chapter 1, I'll just read it for you. We realize that we were, in, in theological terms, we're a type. <laughs> uh, we, we were meant to typify in some small way the true image of God, the one who represents him perfectly. We go to Colossians 
uh, chapter 1, says this of that perfect image bearer. Speaking of Jesus Christ, it says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. And friends, you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, is now reconciled in his body, of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which you've proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. Friends, as we consider what it means to be image bearers of the living God, we have to look at the preeminent image bearer the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the things that, I, that strikes me in, in this picture is, is how the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in him, and yet how we were alienated and hostile in mind. As those who were meant to re- represent God on the face of this earth, we rebelled against God and tried to take the glory for ourselves, and in that process became enemies of God. And yet the perfect image bearer came. The one who perfectly reflected the creator who himself was and is the creator came to make peace by his blood. Friends, believers, what a wondrous thing that though our image bearing is marred by the fall, it is being restored and renewed in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you have yet to to trust in this Christ, if you're still in that place alienated from God, I want to encourage you, you are an image bearer of the living God. He made you. But it isn't enough. It isn't enough because in our own brokenness and sin, we rebel. We do all that stuff that we talked about at the beginning of the sermon. Things that separate us from one another. Things that separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. But this is the good news. The Lord Jesus Christ came to reconcile to himself as the perfect image bearer of God all things, whether in heaven or on earth, making peace by the blood of his cross. Put your trust in him and know that as his spirit works in you, transforming you, you can more and more reflect his image. Let's pray.